you would take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's back for prayer. Father, as we continue our worship, we are grateful that we have the privilege to be able to worship. We thank you, Lord, that we have been placed in a position of being called your sons, of being called your children, that we are able to come and we are bowed before you and we're able to, to worship you, to give you the reverence, the respect that you so rightly deserve. We know, Lord, this is right for us to do, and we come, Father, with a heart that is filled with gratefulness for all the good things that you give to us and for all the good things that you do for us and for all the good things that you're going to do for us. We pray, Lord, that you help us to have a, a proper outlook on life. We pray, Lord, as we work through your word today, that it would continue to have a very heavy influence on us. That, Father, it would shape our attitudes, it would shape the way that we think. That, Father, it would deeply affect the way that we live our lives. That, Father, we may experience life at its deepest level. That we may have great joy and happiness. That others, Father, may see that in us that they also, Father, may desire to know what we possess, what we have. That, Father, we would then have the privilege and the opportunity to point them to Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us here, for your presence in our lives every day. As always, Father, we are grateful for your word. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Solomon writes, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he, <clears throat> he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be, to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Everyone who has... Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Last week we were touching on those things that Solomon began earlier in this chapter to talk about. A lot of it had to do with money and wealth and various things. He's also about the futility of toil, of working hard. And the reason why he's been talking about the futility of that is because in the end, you really don't have much to show for it, except maybe to accumulate a lot of misery. In fact, he says that such striving and loss is a grievous evil, or as we saw, maybe a better translation is that striving and, and maybe losing what you accumulate is kind of depressing. It's a depressing misfortune. Because the word for grievous is the, is the word sick, and the word for evil is often used for disaster and misfortune. And as you have seen, as we've kind of worked our way through Ecclesiastes so far, uh, there's not always a real joyful tone 
in Solomon's words, even though he does talk about joy and happiness and fulfillment. Solomon has emphasized uh, this misfortune and this striving that he's been talking about by referring to a person who has carefully treasured up or maybe hoarded his wealth, whatever term you want to use, and they've lost it through a misfortune. That misfortune, the experiences of those uh, maybe at work or maybe bad investments, whatever it happens to be, something bad has happened, and as a result, there's a great deal of loss. And he really has nothing left even to leave for his son. And so what he's basically telling us is that accumulating and saving all this wealth or maybe hoarding all this wealth uh, may bring harm or, or misery to the owner. And so accumulating all this wealth without knowing it, knowing who's going to control it later, also can be a miserable thing. And these are all the details that Solomon has been noting now and also as we've seen earlier in this book. Again, keep in mind that when Solomon talks like this, he's not advocating poverty and he's not advocating riches because they both have their problems. He's just, he's just making these observations and just pointing them out. He is warning his listeners against the love of money and the delusions that wealth can bring. He definitely goes down that path. He's been talking about pursuing all these things and, uh, with money or that money can afford, and he keeps talking about how he keeps hitting a dead end, that it, it should bring me- meaning to his life, or he wants it to bring meaning in his life. He's convinced that there should be meaning in his life, and he, he can't grasp it. And no matter what he tries, no matter what he pursues, he just can't wrap his hand around it. He can't wrap his mind around it. And so he says that it's a good, what, what is good and fitting is to labor faithfully or to, to work faithfully and to enjoy the good things of life and accept all those things as a gracious gift of God. So he's not saying that working hard and accumulating wealth, that it's all bad. He is talking about the misery it can bring. But then while he talks about those things, he's not saying all of life is a waste. He's not saying that. And he is going to get toward the end to help us to understand what it is that brings all that together and brings us meaning. But he is telling us that in the process, working faithfully or working hard, there is joy in that. Joy in the work and joy in what it provides. And what he says is, enjoy it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to sit down and enjoy it. I want you to know that a couple of weeks ago, it was awesome in my house. Cindy got in this kick on wanted to do something with steaks. Monday night, Tuesday night, we skipped Wednesday because we had church, Thursday night, Friday, steak all those nights with different marinades. It was awesome. I really enjoyed those things. And that's a good thing. And God has created us to be able to enjoy those things. And so it's a gracious gift of God. And he wants us to recognize that. Solomon has given us his counsel before. In chapter 2, he says, There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Then in chapter 3, he said, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now, this isn't saying that you should be a glutton, but he is saying, enjoy your food. Enjoy it. Verse 22 of chapter 3. So I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, or that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And he's going to repeat that kind of phrasing 
three more times before the book ends. Now, there's three main wells, wells, three main ways to get wealth. You can work for it, you can steal it, which is not recommended, uh, or you can receive it as a gift or maybe an inheritance. So Solomon saw the blessings of life as God's gift to those who work and who accept that work as the favor of God. Again, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. Solomon added another important thought, and that is what I just touched on, and that is the ability to enjoy life's blessings is also a gift from God. And so you can thank God for your taste buds. You can thank God for the way that food or whatever smells. It's a great thing. Now, I don't think this makes me kind of a, a weird guy, but whenever I walk by a rose bush and there's flowers, I literally stop and smell the flowers. I just like how they smell. It's just really cool. And I've always been fascinated by roses, how people can manipulate them, and you can get like the white rose with the red tip. And that's just awesome. I think it's great. And uh, I don't grow roses. Who knows what they would look like if I did. But anyway, the point is, is I really enjoyed them. So Solomon's going to continue, Solomon's going to ex- continue to expand on that idea, on the ability to enjoy a life as being a gift from God. That's going to come a little later. Um, and, uh, but he is pointing out here, and he is going to point out later, that uh, there's a great unhappiness among those who possess wealth. Not all of them, but there are those who are just unable to enjoy it. And we covered a lot of that last week, so I'm not going to go into that again, but, but that, that is out there. So we need to thank God for food, thank God for, uh, for the health, healthy taste buds, uh, thank God for the digestive system that functions correctly. In fact, I was reading this book on um, Jewish prayers uh, and the Jewish culture, and it was very interesting that in the, in the Orthodox families, that they literally have a prayer for everything. I mean, everything. And there's a prayer of praise to God that your digestive system works well. They have a, a prayer when you use the restroom, uh, thanking God that your system works the way that it works and that it's, that it's not, not working at that time. I mean, there's... I mean, there's it's a recognition that all these things are done by God. And if you think about it, it's really, it's amazing uh, what, what the human body is able to do and experience. And God created that. He thought that up and he created that. God gave you and I the ability to, to smell and to taste and to enjoy food and all of life. And so if anybody has a, a, a reason to be happy and joyful, it's believers Because we know all those things as we enjoy all those things. In verse 20, he says uh, about this man, he says, He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Uh, There's a lot of views about the best way to translate that verse and what it means. Uh, It may mean that the person who rejoices in God's daily blessings will never have regrets. It might mean that. Um, There's a paraphrase that reads this way, The person who does uh, does that will not need to look back the one who enjoys what God has given him that person will not need to look back with sorrow in his past for God gives him joy um, I think that uh, the time to start storing up happy memories is now uh, it's a gift in fact we, ta- we sometimes talk about this when a loved one passes away that we have these memories these stories that we can tell about our experiences with that individual that's a gift from the Lord and it's great to recall those things, whether they make us cry or make us laugh or do both. It's a blessing from the Lord. 
Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may, be, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So that verse is not necessarily just some, something that we should be somber. You know, make your time count and, and you know, number your days. You only have so many. Uh, you can also be happy about it. You know, we only have so many days. I don't know how many there are, but I'm going to enjoy it. And it doesn't mean that life is a joke. All right, because life isn't a joke, and, and we, we have our moments where things are serious and maybe even ultra-serious, but happiness and joy is all wrapped up into that as well. And so there's no reason for us as believers, no matter how bad things are, there's no reason for us to be a sourpuss, so to speak, and complaining all the time about how, how hard life is. Life, in a, it's hard for everyone, right, to a degree. It's harder for some than it is for others. Just like we talked about, you know, being tired. Everyone's tired. Uh, you know, but this is how we approach life. It may also mean uh, when we talk to, when we talk about this idea about uh, uh, not looking back and God gives him joy. Uh, it could simply be that the one who gratefully accepts God's gifts today is not going to fret and worry about how, how long they're going to live. And you'll notice that when it comes to those who are elderly, that there's various different approaches to life. And there are those who they always seem to be thinking of the fact they're going to die soon. And there are others who live their life as if death, who knows when death's coming, is probably a long ways away. And they just live every day and, and do the things that they want to do. You do know this, that it is an established fact that the people with the most birthdays live the longest. I hope you know that. <laughs> However, I want you to understand that uh, if you keep complaining about getting old, you're just not going to have very much to enjoy. So people who are thankful to God are not going to really dwell much upon the passing years in a negative way. They're going to take each day as it comes, and they're going to use it to serve the Lord. And they're not going to keep reminiscing about how great it was in the old days. It's fun to talk about the good and the bad of the old days, but there's also the present and there's also the future. So the important thing is that we love the Lord, accept the lot that he assigns us, and enjoy the blessings that he graciously bestows. And so as you read through the first five chapters of Ecclesiastes, there is something that I began to notice a great deal, and it happens over and over and over again. And Solomon, despite all the things that he is recognizing and observing, he's telling us to choose to be joyful. And that is a very important concept. Read you a real quick story about Abraham Lincoln. If you know anything about Abraham Lincoln, he didn't have exactly have an easy life. He was born into poverty. His mother died when he was nine. He ran for Congress twice, but he was defeated by Stephen Douglas over the issue of abolition. He married Mary Todd, who frequently suffered from great bouts of depression, and, may I add, made his life miserable. From all the things I've read, that lady, I don't know what the deal was, but anyway, uh, she made his life miserable. Three of their children died before adulthood. As president of the United States, he presided over the Civil War, which was awful uh, in every way. Many believed that he carried the weight of the world and the nation on his shoulders. Nonetheless, he made this statement uh, in the midst of his term as president, and he said this, Folks will be about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And that's true. Folks will be about as happy as they make up their minds to be. So, have you made up your mind to be happy? I hope you have. Believers in every dispensation have implored by the Lord to choose to be joyful. 
In fact, when you read through the, the Old Testament in particular, when you come across the word joy, because sometimes what happens is this. Sometimes we don't always talk about being happy. And the way that it's normally described is, is that happiness is just based on circumstances and it tends to be shallow. And that may be true as compared to joy, which is a deeper thing. And, and you, know, you have a sense of contentment and peace. And there may be some truth to that. At the same time, that doesn't mean that joy is devoid of happiness. And it doesn't mean that happiness is always shallow. And so I think that when you read through the Old Testament and you come across the word joy, because sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm very joyful today. Because I'm a Christian and, I'm, and that's, that's, that's the mature position is to be joyful. So somehow to be happy is irresponsible and immature. So sometimes when you read through the Bible... Take the word joy and replace it with happy. It's not a sin. We can be both. If you want to make a big deal about the difference, be both. He wants us to be happy. Not giddy, not irresponsible, though giddy sometimes can be fun. But the point is, is that that's how he's created us to be that way. And we are to be that way. We are told to choose to be joyful. Zephaniah. I know you don't read that every week, but it says, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart. That is written in a way that they're being told to do that. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, those of you who are righteous. Shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. Christ taught that many believers would undergo severe persecution. And after he was telling them they were going to go through severe persecution, he then said, These things I have spoken unto you that your joy, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full. Only Christians are going to get that. Because he's telling them how bad things are going to be and what's going to happen, but he's telling them to be joyful. And I know I've mentioned this to you before, but if you if you look at any of the photographs or videos that come out of countries where Christians suffer very severe persecution, and you will see Christians, for the most part, smiling. It's uncanny. I mean, it's like their face is going to break. There's, there's just so much joy there. It's, it's immediate. It's, at times, contagious, and it's constant. Paul reminds us in Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Maybe we could read it. For the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and happiness in the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord does make us happy. If you really recognize who God is, that he is your father in heaven, that you can go to him for all things, that your future is guaranteed and secure, that nothing bad can happen to you unless he allows it, and he's only going to allow those things that are bad for, that happen to you that are going to be used for his good and for his glory, and we're already committed to that, it's all good. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have sorrow in the moment. We're going to have moments of unhappiness, but even those moments of unhappiness cannot take away our happiness or our joy. Psalm 16 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. I am convinced that when we are in the physical presence of the Lord, we will not be frowning. We're going to be ecstatic. I know I am. In fact, I don't think anyone who's not ecstatic is allowed. I'm not sure what verse of the Bible that's in, but it's somewhere in there. Isaiah himself looked ahead, looked ahead with a focus on the time of future victory from God's hand. And he said this, The ransomed shall return and come to Zion with songs of everlasting joy. They shall ob obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. 
Jeremiah chapter 15, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart, for I am called by your name, Lord God of hosts. When Jesus was teaching his disciples on prayer, he said, Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So if you have eternal salvation, that means you have the presence of God within. You have past and future victories from the Lord. We have available to us the word of God. We have available to us answered prayer. Prayers that God has answered in the past. The prayers that God is answering today. And the prayers that God's going to answer tomorrow then we have a great deal to be joyful about. Remember that Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So today, you need to choose to be joyful. Again, for the world, that just sounds odd, which I do think is a great ploy you and I can use to engage people perhaps in conversations they would not normally have. And so someone asks you that you always seem to be happy, or you always seem to be smiling. And when they kind of throw that out there, then you can say, don't say, well, that's just how I am. Don't say that. Say this. Well, I choose to be happy. Because they've not heard that before. You what? Well, I choose to be happy. Does that work? Yes, it does. In many ways. Of course, now... For us, we cheat a little bit. It works because we know the Lord. But the point is, is that God has made us with that ability. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone uh, correct their kids this way, but this is not a wrong way to do this. I have seen some parents do this, where your child's at the table and they're having a bad day, which means there's going to be a bad meal. It can be a long night. And then you just kind of calm everyone down and you look at them and you say, you need to be happy right now. That's a good thing to do. Now, don't, you know, don't, you're going to be happy. You know, don't do it like that because that'll make it very difficult for the child. But you can. You can. You can, you can tell them that. Uh, it's not, that's not, we're not, you're not denying reality when you're doing that. You're not denying their feelings when you do that. Because, you know, our attitude, which includes the whole thing of joy and happiness, you know, we have control over that. And so we can choose to be that way. So again, we're not talking about being some kind of a goof. All right? But you know, we're, we're kind of left with these, these choices. You can look at life and you can just see all the bad stuff and complain all the time. Or you can see all the bad stuff and realize, yep, that's there and there's a lot of good stuff too. And I'm just going to be happy. And, and again, because our future is taken care of, because we know who we are in the Lord, because we have him to turn to, because he answers prayer, because we can depend upon him, because he's never going to leave us alone, because he's always going to be there for us, then you can really be happy. You ever notice little kids, the kids that come from a home where mom and dad is always there, and mom and dad provide things for them, and mom and dad are happy? The kids are happy. They, life is great. Well, that's kind of the, how it is with us. You know, we, we have our Father. He's always there for us. And, and so all those things are true for us. I can't remember the exact quote. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, my, my favorite preacher is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I know that people look at the Welsh and the English as always being stoic, which they're not all that way. Um, but he was, he was preaching to his congregation. This is back in, in uh, it had to have been right after World War II. And he told them, he says, I'm just surprised. That by the way that we act, anybody would even want to become a Christian. 
Because we, there's nothing in our life that would draw anyone to Christ. Because we're always, we always have a frown. And life is always hard and difficult. And we're just never happy. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. In fact, our world, what they're, what, what, if, you, if you kind of take a step back and, and take a look at people, what you notice is that many people are trying to pretend that they're happy. They're trying to pretend that life is great. They're trying to pretend that they have nothing to worry about. We have a genuine source of very real joy and happiness that comes up from inside of us because of the relationship we have with the Lord. And so we don't, we're not pretending to be happy. When I, when I choose to be happy, I'm not pretending. When I choose to be happy, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not denying anything bad or evil is taking place or has recently taken place. But, it's, but it doesn't make it fake. I think for the non-believer it is. And, you know, you've, you've probably heard people talk about it or read the articles about individuals on Facebook or some social media who kind of pretends that life is always a party and life is always great and there's always these photos of them happy, but they're really depressed and lonely on the inside. Well, that should never be true of the believer, ever, ever. No matter where you go, you know, you have a, wherever you go on this planet, you have a family in fact, think about this. Wherever you go on this planet, you have a family that loves you, and they haven't even met you yet. That's how it is with Christians. I, 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 I've told you before the stories when I went to South Africa, uh, when I went to Romania, when I went to uh, Mauritius on those mission trips, and I met believers for the first time. We already loved each other. We were, they were very welcoming because I was a Christian. It, the family was already there. We didn't become family when I met them. We already were family. And it was really obvious, no matter what the culture was, it was a unique relationship that was it's fantastic. And so in the world in which we live in, where there's people who are pretending to be happy, then when you tell somebody that, well, I choose to be happy, hopefully they'll get engaged in the conversation. You can let them know right away that, that when you say that, you're not talking about faking it till you make it. That's not what you're doing. That you have, you have reasons to choose to be happy. Reasons to be joyful. Reasons to have peace and contentment in your heart, regardless of what's going on. And that's what the Bible, I believe, is telling us to do. In reference to the blessings that God bestows upon us, we need to remember several different things. Number one, if we focus more on the gifts that God gives us than we do on God the giver, then we're guilty of idolatry. If we accept the gifts that God gives us, which remember now, every good gift comes from God. So whether it's our food, where we live, our clothes, everything we possess, everything that comes our way that's good, that is from God. If we accept his gifts but we complain, then we're guilty of ingratitude. If we hoard his gifts and we don't share them with others, then we're guilty of indulgence. But if we yield to his will and use what he gives us for his glory, then we can enjoy life and be satisfied. So my challenge to you this morning is number one, stop believing the myth that joy can be experienced only by the absence of pain and the fulfillment of your desires. Because happiness is not dependent upon the absence of pain. If that was true, then a whole mess of us would be unhappy all the time. There's all, there's all kind of pain going around. Physical pain, just getting older is pain. Emotional pain, there's betrayal. It, just, it never ends. Choose to be joyful. 
Stop thinking maybe that God is picking on you when things don't happen to go your way. Remember Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Also, stop making inappropriate and unwise comparisons which stir up envy and discontent. So don't look at what someone else has and wish you had that or you wish they didn't have. Just That's their life. You have, they have their life, you have your life. God's going to give them what he gives them, and God's going to give you something else. The most difficult lesson to try to teach my children when they were young was to truly be happy for their sibling when their sibling got something and they didn't. And I would do that on purpose. There'd be times when, they, when I would take one of them to the store with me when I'm buying some things, and I might buy them something, something little. The next day i got to go to the store, another one wants to come with me. Ooh, can I have that? No. But you bought so-and-so yesterday. Yes, I did. Of course, they learned real quick not to say that's not fair, because then I would immediately say, life is not fair, and then they would repeat it, because I make them repeat it, I know, life is not fair. But then what I would tell them is, I said, you're not going to get anything today, but it's important for you to learn to be very, very happy that your brother or that your sister got what they got. And that's hard, to be genuinely happy for them even though there's no prospect of you getting anything today or tomorrow. So stop making all those inappropriate types of comparisons. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13, the signs of an apostle uh, were performed among you in all endurance, not only signs, but also wonders and miracles. So So in what way were you treated worse than other churches, except that I personally did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. And so Paul there is writing to the, to the Corinthians and he's saying, look, the, the signs of the apostles were, were performed. He says, so how were you treated worse than other churches? They were saying, well, this church got this. How come we don't get this? And he just says, stop it. I also think it's important for you and I to start praying, believing that God hears your prayers and he will answer them according to his will. Because that's what he says in the Bible he will do. That should make you happy and joyful. 1 John 5, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, according to his will, he hears us. And if, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And then finally, give thanks for what God has given you and how God is going to weave your circumstances to ultimately work out for your good. And so we have much to be thankful for, much to be joyful for, much to be happy. So I trust that today you will choose to be happy and choose to be happy all day and choose to be happy tomorrow and when your husband forgets to pick up something at the store be happy and if your wife happens to maybe buy something that's a bit more expensive than maybe you would like it to be be happy all right and just choose to be happy again we're not denying anything but life will go so much better And perhaps if we do that, we might find a few more people who will be interested in our Christianity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much, Father, for giving to us the ability to have joy and to be happy. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to be able to laugh and to smile, to be able to enjoy the many wonderful things that you offer in your creation. We pray, Lord, you would forgive us. If we've been like those who have complained, whether we have complained often for many years or maybe we've complained for a short season, forgive us, Father. We pray, Lord, that we will be able to display to others that it is a great privilege and joy and gives us great happiness and fulfillment to know you 
and to be called your child. Uh, Father, I do ask that perhaps there are some here today who, with all this talk of joy and happiness, they really don't know what we're talking about because they've never experienced it. And Lord, it doesn't matter if they call themselves a Christian or not. Perhaps maybe because they've never had the joy of the Lord, that's evidence that they've never known you. And so we pray for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would help them to understand that it is true that we do find in you all of our answers that are needed. In you we find forgiveness and true freedom. That we may be free from the burden of our sin and free from the tyranny of this world. That we may truly have each and every day deep, lasting, great, fulfilling joy and happiness. And I pray, Lord, that if they are unhappy because they do not know you, I do ask that you would intensify their unhappiness, that they may clearly recognize that they are unhappy and they need Christ. We thank you, Father, again, for being so incredibly patient with us. Even, Father, at those times when we have been ungrateful. We thank you, Father, for blessing us even when we have been ungrateful. And help us, Father, to to treat others in the same way that you treated us, with patience and kindness. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.